Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to The Range on the Believe Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. I'm Ralph Irvin, and today we are looking back at 2020 and looking ahead to the future in golf with data. Golf data. So why not go to the experts in the field, Golf Data Tech? We've passed on their statistics all through 2020, but now we go right to the source to see where the game is today. It's a privilege to be joined by John Krisnoak, partner with Golf Data Tech, and they just released the worldwide report on the game. John, thanks for joining us. Hello, Ralph. How are you today? Doing great. But we, I mean, we're talking golf, we're talking equipment. These are all my, some of my favorite things. Uh, but before we get to the data, we always ask, when did golf enter into your life? When it entered in my life? Well, I was, uh, I started at three and a half years old, hitting golf balls in the snow in the backyard with my dad. So that's, uh, I started early <laughs> and been playing ever since. So a lot of data there. <laughs> yeah, a lot of, I used to hit, my dad had like a, an old wooden shafted two iron that we used to hit like uh, off of a plastic mat into a, a tarpaulin of um, like a felt tarp. And it was tacked between two trees and we were about 15 feet away from it. And you learn very quickly, you better hit the middle. Because if you hit the tree, the ball comes right back at you. So you you learn to be pretty good with a two iron very at a very young age. <laughs> now we have that out of the way. Let's get to a bit more background. Talk to our audience about Golf Data Tech and the work that you do. Well, Golf Data Tech, we've been around since uh, 1996. It started. We um, started putting out data in 97. Uh, and since then, I mean, we, we have multiple things we do. We work in the U.S., as well as the UK and Europe. We have uh, uh, reporting stations all over the world, but we basically, uh, the biggest thing we do is track down sales and how, uh, how products are selling right down to the SKU level through the online, uh, the on-course and the off-course channels, as well as we do a lot of consumer work, trying to understand the consumer and their mindset. We do proprietary work for brands. We do syndicated work for uh, the, the industry in general. You know, So if you want to know about uh, people's thoughts about um, uh, training aids, as an example. I mean, we have a whole study we do with consumers' perceptions or serious golfers' perceptions of training aids. And are, do they work? Which ones do they like? Uh, you know, things like that. So we, we cover... Um, a lot of the back data that helps the the golf companies run their business and, and try to be more efficient. Well, you recently partnered on the fifth World Golf Report. Mm -hmm. What's the report breakdown? Well, the, the, the idea of the World Report, the objective's always been to try to understand long-term trends in golf all around the world, you know, uh, in golf equipment. So we work with um, uh, Yano uh, Research Institute out of, of Tokyo, and they handle kind of some of the, the Asian markets where we don't have any, uh, any direct data coming from. 
And then we, we break the uh, world market down into 24 different countries and five different regions. And we look at how they, uh, how their sales stack up in, um, in golf clubs, balls, uh, footwear, bags, gloves, you know, all the, all the things you use to play the game as well as apparel. And we look into uh, total apparel sales and it's a, it's a big picture view of what's happening in the world because there's not a lot of data in the, in the golf industry. We're a pretty um, data short industry. So when we started in 97 and, and when Yano started in, in the early 2000s, it was really some of the uh, first significant data that's been out there. And um, so from that, we've tried to extrapolate and try to project what all these countries do. In, in terms of sales and uh, it provides some, you know, great insight for the manufacturers as to where they want to spend their money and for them to understand how their businesses are doing on a worldwide basis. You talk about the worldwide spread of golf. It is everywhere, but when it comes to equipment sales, it's not sold as much everywhere. I did see two thirds of all equipment sales are the U S and Japan combined. Yeah. Well, yeah, the U.S. is definitely the largest market. When, when we have, um, you know, a lot of golfers here, we got, you know, over 24, almost 25 million golfers. Um, it, and it is uh, well over uh, close to half of the total equipment sales. It's a, um, a very vibrant market, as, as I'm sure all your listeners know, is, you know, there's new drivers, new irons always coming out. But Japan, on a per capita basis, actually Korea is the biggest market that people spend, the Korean golfers spend more money per golfer than any country in the world by a long shot, uh, with Japan being second. The U.S. is fairly far down the list. However, uh, obviously we have so many golfers that right. we're, we're become a, a major um, part of the total market. 2020 was obviously the most unusual year uh, for all people. But in the golf industry, it was really stark, the, the difference of how the year progressed. But overall, when you look at the overall numbers, they were fantastic. Yeah, I mean, when you, when you started the year, certainly January, February were excellent, both in, uh, or I shouldn't say both, in, in the UK, Japan, the United States. Everybody got off to a really good start January, February. Um, so we were all thinking it's going to be a 2020 was going to be a really good year. Then obviously the world kind of stopped about mid March. Uh, and in many markets, it shut down through April and then into May and others into June and July. Uh, luckily for the United States market, golf was perceived as a relatively safe thing that you could do during a pandemic and uh the golf courses soon became crowded and then became more crowded people started buying equipment and uh we went from being in april of last year we were down about 80 percent uh for the month versus the prior april and then by the end of the year we ended the year up 10 percent in total equipment sales in the, in the united states so even though it got off to a really difficult start and um, I don't think anybody even as late as June or July would have predicted where we ended up. It actually ended up being very positive for golf. And, uh, and I don't know how it is where you are, but I'm here in Chicago. We finally got some, we've got some good weather. It's been in the seventies the last uh, 
two weekends, the golf courses are absolutely packed again. So it, it still seems to be continuing. It's interesting you talk about that with, with the golf courses. I actually am familiar with a couple of courses that were at a point where they were thinking of, of shutting down, being developed. Yep. And when courses were opened up, they didn't open up right away because they were thinking this would be the opportunity to kind of slide away and mm-hmm. no one would notice. And instead, because it was so big, these courses were essentially saved. Yeah. I mean, they, they were so busy that they couldn't legitimately shut them down, take a business loss, that sort of thing. It just wasn't possible because there's so much business and so many people are out there. Yeah. I mean, we saw that the course that I play at that three years ago, there was the, the town was seriously considering shutting it down. And then we got involved, a, a group of us trying to save the golf course were able to raise a couple hundred thousand dollars and get people to uh, support the course. And so we were just got a, a management company in and things were just starting when the pandemic hit. And then you're thinking, oh, geez, here we go. We just got this thing. It looks like it's going to get over the hump and it's all going to go to, you know, down the, down the drain. Next thing you know, all of a sudden people are playing golf and last year turned into a record year. So it went from just about going out of business to setting records for the number of rounds played in, in less than uh, 24 months. So yeah, I hear what you're saying. It happens. It's happened a lot of places around the country. We love equipment here on the range and the sales numbers for clubs was fantastic. I don't know if, if golf data tech, tracks this but i'm curious what the inventory was in terms of sales like were companies selling out of their products or or was it a case of it was selling what they normally sell i mean that that's where i'm really curious about is how how much leftover inventory was there yeah there really was nothing left um most large off course shops you know in, in their typical course of business they have a significant amount of inventory in the back room uh, by June, July of last year, those shops had basically gone in and stripped their inventory. Sometimes there'd be products sitting there that was two, three years old, four years old that is forgotten and was sitting in bins or in barrels or in golf bags, moved them out to the floor, put a price tag on them and they sold them. So it was a, um, it was an interesting year. The manufacturers, because a lot of them, um, were in states like California and Massachusetts where and uh, where they had to shut down for long periods of time due to government restrictions, they they were shut down. And the, the manufacturers themselves, they could not make product. So you had this, on the one hand, uh, kind of the vacuum sucking the product out of the channels, uh, the consumer, and the manufacturers not able to replenish it like, like they normally would. And uh, it created some inventory distress that continues today. I mean, there's um, a lot of manufacturers are, are hand to mouth getting product into their warehouse, uh, assembled, and then out to the, the ultimate uh, end user. It's, it's been a, uh, a very difficult one year, and it probably is going to continue for at least another, uh, at least the middle of summer. When we talk equipment, a lot of people immediately just start thinking of drivers. Yes. And then maybe they think of irons, then they think of woods, they think of putters. They, yeah. What they don't necessarily think about are golf bags and carts. 
And this is an area that with my viewership on the golf spotlight, I've seen interest in these products just soar. Yeah. And as I understand it, that's been seen in the marketplace as well is that people may have had old golf clubs that they kept in the garage and they're pulling them out from the cobwebs, but they needed new bags and they were buying them in bulk. Yeah, it, it, it is interesting. Uh, the bag business was up in, in, in 2020 by 30%. And for the first two months of 2021, it's up 47%. So it hasn't slowed down at all. Uh, if you try to get a bag, it, it's pretty difficult to do. The manufacturers are um, out straight. You know, a lot, of, a lot of the bags do come in from, from Asia. And I am sure a lot of your listeners are familiar with a lot of the um, the shipping problems that companies are having. Uh, you know, the uh, container ships are sitting off the port in Long Beach, just sitting there for weeks on end. They, there's not enough slots for them to come in to unload them. A lot of those are golf bags. <laughs> and uh, the, the, it's been an incredible run in the bag business. You know, bags were way up this past year. Um, same thing as you mentioned, golf carts, pull carts. Uh, you, for most, well, probably until August, you couldn't get a pull cart. I mean, most people were sold out mm -hmm. completely. Most retailers, and then um, the other product categories that have just exploded have been wedges. Uh, the wedge business is just through the roof because um, one, wedges do wear out. I think the manufacturers have kind of. Uh, convince people that the way their grooves do wear out and they don't perform as well. Uh, secondarily, the, the gapping in, in club sets, now that you have a 43 degree pitching wedge, uh, when I started in the business, 48, 49, 50 were the norms for what a pitching wedge was. Today it's 43. So you now have this giant gap that you got to fill in with either a gap wedge or your sand wedge or uh, kind of a modified sand wedge and then a lob wedge. So uh, the wedge business has been very healthy as well. And again, something that I've seen with viewership of my videos is it's those wedges that are built to help uh, less skilled players that are, because those are the people that have been really coming back to the game. Yes. They're like, okay, wait, there are these new wedges out there that'll help me hit the ball. Yeah. I'm interested in those. Yeah. If you've got a wedge that will help me not uh, turn, put the turf over the top of the ball, I want it. <laughs> you know, that's, a, <laughs> that seems to be a common refrain. In all the years that I've talked golf product, and it's over 15 years now, one of the things we always suggest is people go to a company's website to learn about their products. Mm -hmm. That's been probably the worst place to buy since COVID-19 really struck because the companies have been so busy getting product to their retail partners that they don't have any to sell themselves. There are, there are bag companies, there are cart companies that have nothing to sell online, but you go to the retail stores, okay, you can find product, but the companies are like, no, we're getting it to our partners, so it's in stores. Yeah, it, it's it's been a very trying 12 months for the, uh, the people on the manufacturing side, for sure. Um, you know, because for a long time, it, it had been, there was a kind of rhythm to the year you know, you brought in product in uh, December, January, you launched it in January, February, you shipped it in February, March, it started to sell through, you might got some return, uh, some uh, kind of fill in orders after that, but there was a rhythm to everything. And that rhythm is completely gone. The manufacturers, the facilities in, uh, in Asia are just absolutely out straight. There's no way for them to, uh, 
increase. I mean, they, they are literally running 24 seven and uh, still can't make enough product to meet demand. Despite all the growth in 2020, there was one area that had a significant dip and it, there's a reason for that dip. What was that? Yeah, apparel struggled. It was a really difficult year in golf apparel, um, mainly because most golf shops, they didn't encourage you to go in and uh, try on product, hang around the golf shop. You know, that's when you buy. You go in, you're, mm-hmm. you're chatting with the assistant pro, you're looking at the at the golf shirts. Next thing you know, you walk out, you've got two shirts or whatever. That, that didn't happen. There was no... Uh, no inter- interaction between the the golf professionals and the uh, and, and the customer for the most part because the, people didn't want you to hang around. They wanted you to come in, make your transaction, and get out. Uh, the other thing that was really detrimental to the apparel business was the resorts. The, a lot of large resorts were hurt badly, particularly resorts that required or, or um, have a lot of international travel because the international traveler couldn't come. So all of a sudden, you may have filled in, you know, a place like Pebble Beach, they filled in with locals, you know, people who came from, you know, from San Francisco or wherever. But you didn't have that same, the guy didn't come in from Tokyo to play at Pebble Beach. The people who come from San Francisco, they might buy a shirt, but that's about it versus if the guy came in from uh, came in from Tokyo for, for four days and stayed at the lodge he might go home with a new suitcase full of stuff, you know, and, and that just didn't happen. So the apparel business really did struggle this year. There's, you know, some significant factors, some headwinds against it, nothing they could do about it. It just was a tough year. That's something that we had on uh, someone from St. Andrews back in the fall mm-hmm. talking about the circumstances there, that same thing. They had no international visitors. Yep. They were able to fill up their T-sheets because suddenly people across the UK who never thought of going to St. Andrews were like, well, wait, let's go. Sure. But those are not the people that are going to spend and spend and spend on apparel or souvenirs because it's not a once in a lifetime trip for them. Exactly. Exactly. So it, so it was a tough year for apparel. Um, we've now looking at the first few months of 2021 and there's some continuations of challenges for the apparel business. Cause once again, the, the travel business is not back yet. So even though you're starting to hear about Americans are starting to travel, if you look at the data, it's still about half as many as were before. So there's, and there's not the business trips, you know, and the guy goes on a business trip, he might, find the time to sneak in a round or two. Uh, all of a sudden, he's not going anywhere. So it, mm-hmm. it's been difficult in, in the, the resort markets. It's also a, a, a shines a light on the fact that while a lot of golf business has moved away from the green grass shops to off-course shops to online, when it came to apparel, headwear, that sort of thing, that's really always been the place is that site on course. Yeah. Because one, it's unusual. You're going to find different things in different shops, but two people like to try things on and they're less apt to go and order something that they just don't know how it's going to fit. Yeah. And, um, yeah, the, the businesses, there are the, the categories that do very well on course are still apparel and, um, and golf balls, golf balls. People Mm -hmm. still buy a lot of their golf balls from their, their golf shop, not necessarily because they want to, but because they need to. <laughs> they show up at the golf course. They're like, oh, geez, I forgot to get. Right. I left my, I had a dozen new Titleists. I left them in my closet or whatever, you know, and it's like, okay, well, I guess I'll buy something here in the shop. 
So it's convenient. That's an area where generally the golf shop, the pricing is uh, roughly the same when you're buying a dozen balls. It mm -hmm. generally has a, a, the same cost. Yeah. Another statistic that Golf Data Tech tracks is participation. And ever since courses reopened after the initial COVID shutdown, mm -hmm. they've been packed. Yeah, I mean, the rounds play numbers are, are um, towards the back of half of last year were just amazing. I mean, they'd be up. 30, 40, 50% over the prior year, which is just unheard of. Um, some courses were literally, you just couldn't find a tee time. Um, mm -hmm. It's, it's, a, it's a, uh, with so little to do beyond golf, you know, in terms of uh, other activities, I think that's had a, a lot to do with it, you know, and, and there's some, um, some concern as we go into 2021 and things start to open up that, that people will, have the ability to go, uh, you know, go to a, their kid's soccer game on Saturday morning so they can't play golf or they'll, uh, you know, they've got school activities or they've got, uh, they want to go to a college football game or there's a lot of reasons why other things they may choose to do. Go to the movies. You can't go to the movie. You know, so th all these little things. However, what we've seen, the data seems to show that there's a, a very large percentage of golfers who are very avid, who didn't play much last year. A lot of them actually played less than normal. And, and we think part of that has to do with either they were had comorbidities and, and just kind of hunkered into their house and didn't go out. They, uh, they could have had something to do with, they may have been a doctor or a nurse or, or somebody who was spending so much time working mm -hmm. that they didn't have time to get out and go play golf. Um, so there's this core of people and it's fairly significant based on the research we've done that shows they didn't play much last year. They are all planning on coming back this year. And so as these, uh, new players or people who maybe had gone away and came back, uh, as they fall away, cause they've got other activities to do. We, we really think there is going to be another another group that's going to fill that slot and, and take over those tee times. And um, so we, we're kind of expecting there to be a, a, another decent year this year, as far as rounds played go, but, but, you know, only time will tell. And last year, the other thing a lot of people forget about was the weather was excellent mm -hmm. around the entire country. You know, they, we didn't have a lot of terrible storms. We didn't have a, a tremendous amount of hurricanes. And uh, so with, with a, with good weather, makes it a lot easier to play golf. That was one thing I remember seeing back in October, November, December is statistics from the New England area, from the upper Midwest, where the numbers were just exploding because they had better weather. Yep. I also imagine that they were really holding on because of how they had lost so much time in the beginning of the year that some of the cold weather areas were holding on to the season as long as they could before they were shutting down. Absolutely. People were, um, you know, because <laughs> there was, and there was nothing else to do. So on mm -hmm. a, you know, around here on a normal day uh, in November, it might be 45 degrees and, and you would go to a golf course and, and there'd be, 10, 15 groups out there, you know, there'd be people out, but it wasn't packed this past November, you know, the weather was maybe a little better than that. It might've been high forties around 50 and the places were still packed with people. Um, you know, so it, it's, uh, the weather and then the fact that people just wanted to get out 
and I, it, golf's great because it allows socialization and um, you could be safe. You're outside. You're not, you don't have, I don't have to be next to you to play golf with you. I can stay five feet away from you. I can, um, you know, we, and we can talk, we can have fun and, you know, I can still take your money and you can Venmo for to me. That's okay. <laughs> Another aspect that I found interesting in terms of the interest, and this is where one area where I think it bodes well for the industry, is we've all seen nationwide the growth of Top Golf mm-hmm. as an entertainment venue in the evenings for people to go and they're playing golf. There isn't Top Golf really established here in Southern California. And what I've seen instead is just people going. To the range, young people, range filled with teens that don't really know how to play golf, but it's become a modern day bowling alley, if you will, yeah. or of a place to go and do something that's relatively inexpensive and you can laugh or have fun and start your night off. Or maybe these days that is the night out. Yeah. Well, and you do see, sometimes it's kind of, you see kind of the happy Gilmore swings going on mm-hmm. and they're enjoying it they're having fun and that's in the end that's what it's all about you want them exposed to how to hit a golf ball and maybe for some percentage whether it's five percent ten percent twenty percent whatever it is if they get exposed and and they enjoy it it maybe will spur them to go try it on a golf course and you know that that's good for the game we've seen in recent years when we talked about it with with course closures they had been happening because it was waning interest in golf and and it would be nice to see if that kind of can halt and maybe we can start increasing the number of courses going forward yeah yeah it's i I think we're at a point now where i saw some data recently that showed like we were at maybe an equilibrium point now where we like not i think there were still a little more courses closed than open but it was kind of starting to reach a point where it was in a balance and that's really what's important is we we just can't continue to lose golfers, lose golf courses. Um, The challenge is in a lot of the metropolitan markets, for sure, that the the land value is just so high that it's very easy for people to say, well, the best use of that golf course is for housing. It, It may not be best for the neighborhood or for the people who live there, but for the guy who owns the land, perhaps it is. Right. You know, that's really what it comes down to where I'm based is near a lot of farmland and that's happening with farmland is it's being looked at as the people who own it are saying, okay, long-term, yes, keeping a farm is going to be a great business thing, but short-term for me and my family, I can unload this Mm -hmm. land and be financially independent going forward. Right. And, and that's kind of the battle that people who own golf courses, the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Going forward, what does golf data tech envision for the game and its growth? Well, you know, we think there's a lot of uh, information and data out there that suggests there's um, demand, that latent demand that's not being met. And and I to a degree, I think that's true. I mean, to, you mentioned earlier Top Golf and how it's exposing people to the game mm-hmm. that uh, may or may not normally play golf um the future of the game is going to depend on developing some of those people because you know the uh the guys like you and i who are getting a little bit older are eventually not going to play as often you know right now we 
perhaps play a lot. But as we get a little older, we'll start to play less and less. And, uh, you know, you can look at other markets and see what happens in, uh, in Japan as their population has aged in particular. It's had a really negative impact on golf because golf was so entrenched with that generation that as they started to get older and fall out, the younger people haven't taken up golf at the same pace. And so they've had a, a really steady, uh, significant decline in the number of golfers. And so that's what you really want to get away from and, and try to avoid if you can. You know, this past year, we've seen, uh, this is the second year in a row, we've seen an uptick in the number of golfers. We went from 24 million to like 24.3 to 24.6 or something in that effect. You know, so we're, we're moving in the right direction, but we need to, uh, continue to grow that and, and give more people playing the game. Certainly um, getting the young people involved is, is the biggest challenge because they've got lots of things to choose from. Uh, and uh, golf isn't necessarily, you know, fast paced and uh, like a video game. So it takes a, it, it's hard to learn. It's hard to play. It's an area where there could be a lot of lessons to take from Japan as you see the popularity, like I mentioned, of driving ranges or a top golf is if you can get people interested in golf and their entrance into the game, their their use of the game is mm -hmm. simply just going to hit balls and they actually don't go to the courses, the game will still grow because there's still going to be people out there supporting it in different levels. Mm -hmm. And that could very well be a good thing. Going to a range can take 30 minutes, can take an hour. Yeah. That certainly fits a lot of people's schedules and allows them to get something from the game. You still get the rewarding feeling of hitting great shots, and and that may be enough to for, for a lot of people that never would have thought to play golf before. Yeah, and if you look at some of the um, the way, particularly Top Golf, but you know any of those uh, golf entertainment type of venues are being structured. There's a, a game gamification of it, if you will. So you're hit. You're not just beating a bunch of balls. So it's not like, right. uh, you know, when I was a kid, going to the range was something of a drudgery because you were just <laughs> going. You were beating balls, you know, and you, you couldn't see where they landed. You were hitting into the sun. I mean, there was it was always quite a challenge. Now it's uh, now I can you know watch a baseball game, have a beer, and hit a few shots. It's like yeah, it, it's a little different. A little different uh, reason for going. <laughs> That's a nice uh, venue to enjoy golf and not be too frustrated by it. You don't make bogeys at the range. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to play your foul balls. It's even better. Even better. I do take you back now to one of our standard questions as we wrap up. We like to take our guests into the Wayback Machine and look at your all-time golf bag. So we ask, do you have one club active or not, that you have a real special emotional, sentimental connection to? Well, <laughs> probably. I Actually, it's a really interesting question. I would probably go back to, I had a, um, an H&B persimmon driver that I played when I was in college and uh, was pretty successful with it. And um, always, driving the ball has always been the strength of my game. So I, that particularly of course back then it was 43 inches it was steel shaft and i was hitting a lot of ball but uh didn't seem to matter that, that it was by far my go-to club always <laughs> i i wonder if i probably hit a ball with it today i probably would break it but <laughs> 
it's a question that I always ask. I ask everyone that comes on and they always have an answer right away. Yeah. Even though they didn't even ever think about it. There's always that answer. Good question. Or else. <laughs> <laughs> well, golf data text numbers drive the business of golf forward and the tracking from 2020 gives us all hope for a growing game that can uh, yep. fund and fuel innovation. That'll make playing even more enjoyable for us all. Thank you for bringing those numbers to light. And thanks for joining us here on the range. Thanks very much, Ralph. Have yourself a good day. That was John Krasnoak joining us here on the range. I'll tell you, we've shared their numbers monthly dating back to the fall, and we've gotten a real feel for just how popular our game has become. Let's embrace it and hope more new courses come to fruition or maybe some recently closed ones can be brought back from the grave. It's our game. Let's keep it growing. Before we go, as we just discussed, the golf industry is booming. We all see it with full golf courses, and while that may slow play down a bit, it's better than the alternative with many venues being in dire financial straits. Courses are not hurting for golfers, and now is the time for them to do their part and start monitoring the play. Slow play is always an issue, but with newcomers coming to the course, the biggest concern are those who, simply put, have no clue what they're doing. This isn't about golf, this is about people driving carts on par threes, around or even onto the greens, and actually trashing golf carts. This past weekend alone, I saw multiple groups driving between greenside bunkers and the putting surface, and yes, playing bumper cars around the greens. For years, the industry pushed the idea of course ambassadors making the rounds, but these days with players being turned away en masse, what we really need are marshals. There's no reason for courses to get trashed because no one is desperate to fill a tee sheet. Ultimately, courses will pay the price with damaged grounds and golf carts. These businesses owe it to their customers to, as the saying goes, protect the field. And if new players cannot learn these simple basic concepts, I'm sorry, but I don't think the game of golf needs them. There is plenty of new gear available for 2021 and the best place to get deep inside looks at it all is the golf spotlight we are dropping new features all the time looking at clubs accessories footwear and more go to thegolfspotlight.com click on the youtube subscribe button and turn on those notifications so you never miss one of our exclusive features there is a lot to catch up on and as we were talking about there is a lot of excitement around golf equipment these days stay up to date on the range by following us on instagram at the golf spotlight we're also on twitter at golf spotlight welcome your comments everywhere you've listened this far so subscribe to the range on apple podcasts or follow us on spotify or iheart we have new shows dropping every wednesday that'll do it for this episode of the range so let's grab our clubs hit the course and if you want to improve you better track the data after all, you need to know where you are to get to where you want to be. And we'll talk to you next time, right here on The Range. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.